Hey guys, it's Brett, Rocket Fuel HSV with the Rocket Fuel HSV podcast. I appreciate you for tuning in to our very first episode. So if you haven't already, go ahead and head on over to wearehuntsville.com because that is actually um, where I wrote the article um, about this piece. So this is the companion podcast to that. And here I am with Chef Dominique Lester, ChefDomTheBomb.com, as he's known on Instagram. How are you doing today, Chef? I'm doing well. How about you? Oh, man, I'm doing so, so well. Uh, so we had a funny thing last week, right? We tried to do this podcast and we had a lot of technical issues. We couldn't go through with it. Uh, I think you had to hit Birmingham even. So it kind of worked out, I feel like. So maybe it was meant to be. But we had an amazing meal that day. Oh my gosh, man. So what the omokase. So tell what does that mean even? Uh, so in Japanese terms, it's going to mean a chef's choice. So meaning when you go to uh, specifically a uh, sushi bar and you order a omakase, the chef will const, uh, hand you out items and tell you essentially either give the go ahead to stop it at where he's at currently or you can finish the entire meal and it is also customary uh, as a sign of uh, thanks and goodwill to uh, share a drink with your chef okay so that's kind of my favorite thing about it because when I go get sushi all the time, I never know what to, what I want to order, right? You know, and I don't want to I don't want to be the guy that's oh I'm gonna get the the shrimp tempura roll every single time. So that's kind of what was cool is you kind of just it was up to you. You brought out whatever you felt like that day, and but I mean, so many things you brought out too. I mean, we had the whole whole list of items, and I just the 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 quality of the seafood was so fresh too, and uh, I mean I. We're in a landlocked town, let's be honest, you know, so where do you even come up? Like, how do you find that local, or I guess, freshly sourced seafood anyway? So, uh, to be honest, most of my stuff comes from Japan. Um, it gets shipped overnight, uh, flown directly to us. Uh, anything else, I will go to a local market or find something within the area, uh, usually Atlanta or Nashville, and bring those ingredients uh, directly to you all. So, I, th- I gotta admit, I think my favorite thing that we had that day was the salmon belly. And now, so go ahead describe because it was a candy garlic on it too. I mean, you, for people that haven't seen maybe the pictures yet, um, it's not just fish slapped on a piece of rice, right? You got all kind of garnishes and herbs and you know the little sprinklings of right, right, sauces. right. So, um, uh, what most people. Um, fail to understand um, not to blame them it's mainly because the um, the general sense of sushi in America uh, most things that come to America will be Americanized to pander to our taste however I would like it to take a different direction in doing so and instead of just slapping on you know spicy mayo and eel sauce I want to go out of my way and create sauces that pair with the fish, um, whether it be seasonal or not, or just like a, you know, a general pairing. I want people to like understand the flavor complexities of what they're eating and how uh, through culinary arts, you can add more to that and enhance the flavor. Yeah, so because with that salmon belly, man, it, it had uh, the candied garlic, and I think it was a miso dressing, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, uh, it's a candied garlic miso dressing, uh, and then it gets topped with uh, togarashi, which is a Japanese seven spice, and then scallions. Yeah, 
And I mean, it's an, it's incredible. I mean, cause I remember it's just the, the salmon belly. If people haven't had it, they got to try it. And, and I, I would recommend they come to you to do it the right way. You know, the, the, the real freshly sourced stuff, but it's, it's almost, and maybe it's just the character of any animal belly. It's just, it's a fattier texture. You know, you really get that. And you do, you do. And, uh, I've had a lot of, um, regulars comment and say that it's like, the bacon of the sea. Yeah, I mean, that's a totally... <laughs> it's like the chicken of the sea, right? The tuna. But that's exactly <laughs> the way it is. and Because um, it has such a... It's it's more of that... I think the fattier brings out that savory flavor of it. Because a lot of the salmon, you know, we, we would have it typically at a restaurant grilled on a cedar plank. You know, it's it's a little drier than that. So, yeah. Um, so, side note to what he just said uh if you ever go to a restaurant and you order your salmon and it comes out dry on a cedar plank um definitely send that back salmon should always be cooked medium to medium well yeah right in order to retain some of that original flavor from the salmon um it is technically considered a white fish so the longer that you cook it the more that it's going to flake and the more that the flake the drier it's going to become that's one of my favorite things about salmon too is uh highly depending on the region that you get it in you know so if you look pacific northwest cold water you know it's going to have a that that fattier almost cod like texture and flavor to it but then you can you can also get salmon and uh you know more freshwater settings you know in the rivers and stuff and it's, it's crazy how different that can be uh but yeah i like yeah i mean the garlic too it's just people don't eat think about eating candy garlic dressing or miso dress you know like how, yeah. how, how do you come up with the inspiration to combine those things together i mean it's just trials and tribulations there's been there's been a lot of dressings that i've tried and that i've had to like sit through and like force myself to eat with a pizza fish and just be like, nah, that's I can't that, do it. Yeah, like, that's, that's <laughs> not it. And it, once you like come across one good one, you're like, all right, cool. I really want to use this for everything, but then you have to understand that the fish, especially when it comes to fresh raw fish, there's there's a lot of discrepancies. Um, white fish tends to have a very light taste until it's cooked which is why salmon is considered a white fish. It also retains the same properties. The only reason that it's um, not a white colored flesh fish is because of the diet it eats. Uh, Q, for example, e.g. flamingos. The only reason their skin is so pink and their feathers are so pink is because of all the algae in the water of which they feed from. If you took away that, flamingos would just be a white feathered bird so um what you pair with your fish really depends on what kind of fish it is what the natural um sediments in the fish are for example uh, tuna is known for its higher mercury deposits so therefore you have to play with something that's pairs well with metallic properties or say mackerel which is an oily fatty fish you have to pair with something that's oily and fatty yeah so and that was the way i think impressed me most about this presentation is i felt like um, 
every kind of fish or seafood was represented in some way maybe not directly but at least through the flavors and inspiration that came through so i mean we had everything what from yellowtail to salmon to tuna toro octopus squid there's probably stuff i can't even i'm not even mentioning uh albacore yeah and uh mackerel i remember that too the if you haven't had mackerel you know i, I gotta i always tell people um because certain foods, they have a stereotype to them, right? Like spam. People are like, oh, I'm not eating that until they eat a really good spam fried rice, you know? Mackerel, I feel, is very same to that. It's just like, oh, that's the trash fish. I'm not eating it. It comes in a can usually. But explain that. What, what, what made you take a chance and, and do something like that? So mackerel, uh, even though it typically comes as a pickled fish, uh, you can also get fresh mackerel and pickle it yourself. Uh, it's usually like a, a marinade that you make, and depending on how long you keep it in the marinade, also affects the chemical process and how long the vinegar has to interact with the flesh of the fish. If you leave it in there for more than three, four days, the fish becomes pickled and starts to the flesh will actually start to cook. It will condense the flavors. But if you take it out right before then, the flesh will retain a good amount of those flavors, but will still have the softness that you won't find in your typical pickled mackerel. Because pickled mackerel, once it becomes pickled, the flesh condenses, the proteins condense, and it becomes a meatier fish, which is why a lot of people like it, because it reminds them of eating a full meal because of how thick it is. Yeah, and uh, my favorite one thing about the mackerel, too, was uh, it had that fresh grated ginger on it. If you've never had fresh grated ginger, you know, you've got to try it, right? Because it's, it almost gives that, like, spicy bite at the end. I don't really know how to describe it very well. Um, that's the best way I could. And then with the scallions, too, it kind of has that herby, herby savoriness that, that really pairs well with it. Uh so do you get people all the time, they're like, I've never tried this as a garnish, you know, let alone even eating it before to, to elevate that experience of the sushi? For most customers, should they come sit at the sushi bar um, and they order, say, it's mackerel, I won't exactly tell them everything that's involved. I will ask if they have any allergies just to, you know, precaution for self. But if they don't have any allergies and everything's okay, I'll usually go ahead and serve them as it should be served. Um, and they take to it very well. Um, it's, a, it's a chance on me and it's a chance on them. But with me knowing what fish pairs well with what ingredients, it does help a lot with... Um, getting customers accustomed to what they're eating. So that way they're not just, you know, just putting pieces of fish and rice in their mouth. They're actually coming to an understanding of how flavors should be paired and it's setting a new standard for them. And this is what I seek. I loved, so when you brought out, it was like this bowl, right? Of, of an assortment of sushi that was part of the experience and, that was that was fun because we had the shrimp with the the shrimp heads as the garnish, you know, and then yeah. and then and then um, what else was on there? So we had the salmon topped to salmon eggs. Uh, there, there was a few things on there. The the tuna, the, the tuna, tuna yeah. with a fresh uh, zested lemon. 
you also had some squid with uh, the shiso leaf and kizami wasabi, which is a pickled wasabi root. Um, also threw in some hamachi. Uh, uh, and also, uh, my personal favorite uh, is the fluke or harame. It's going to be uh, sashimi styled with the slightly spicy truffle ponzu and uh, fresh grated ginger and dried shiso leaf. The dried shiso leaf was a personal choice because as you dry certain herbs, the flavor will condense as the water evaporates. And shiso leaf has a very distinct effervescent uh, flavor and it pairs very well with the ginger. So it was the shisho leaf, was that what I think you called it almost like a uh, Chinese basil or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so it's it's considered a Japanese basil here in uh, the States and uh, probably even UK. It's known as um, beef steak leaf. Yeah, because, uh, and then the truffle ponds, you go into that a little bit for people that don't know. The truffle ponzu, um, so without giving out too many secrets, uh, yeah, it's don't, a, it's, not do that. Yeah. You know, we don't want to put Oshi poke <laughs> out of business here. Right, exactly. Um, so it's, it's essentially a ponzu sauce um, with uh, truffle added to it and just, you know, just a bit of uh, some chili peppers, garlic, a little bit of salt, just to give it the extra spice and flavor that it really needs to bring out the flavors of a white fish such as uh, fluke. And that's, and that's what I really liked about this whole experience was that these additions, they don't, they don't take away from the experience because when you're eating something like sushi and especially as fresh as the, uh, the ingredients you're using, you want to showcase that natural flavor of the fish or the yeah. seafood, right? So why, why would we take away from it? But, and I think the best you know, culprit of that is the tuna when you top it with the lemon zest. I mean, that that is just it because it, it can't get any more simple, right? We, we we shoot some lemon zest on the tuna and it, it's just fresh grated right there in front of my face. I watched you do it. and <laughs> So with that being said, uh, tuna is typically high in mercury, which is why they suggest that you don't eat it during your pregnancies. Um, they suggest that, but the limit that they will give you if you ask for it, is four ounces a week of tuna is acceptable um, during your pregnancy. There's some happy pregnant mothers yeah. out there now, right? They're yeah. like, oh my God, I can yeah, go back finally. and get my sushi restaurant. Yo, <laughs> I can, yo, <laughs> I've run across so many pregnant customers like, I want some sushi, but I can't eat any fish. My <laughs> doctor know. says no, but I'm then like, so technically... I've already done a research. Thank you. But you can eat this much of a certain item and not have to worry about any damage or, you know, any side effects occurring to the baby. Yeah. And they're they're really excited about that. Well, I feel like if someone is having that debate, they're raising a foodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but. yeah, they I've known, I've had customers come in and tell me they've raised their son from three years old on to just eat salmon eggs when they come to a sushi restaurant. And that's, 
Hey, that's commendable in my book. Because if you can get a kid yeah. to eat a bunch of salmon eggs and not have to be like, but mom, the texture. <laughs> yeah, you've got a good kid and you got a good foodie on your hand. But it doesn't, doesn't, don't you think that speaks to the community kind of aspect of this sushi presentation as well? It does, it does, it does a lot. Um, mainly because uh, most people would not take their children out to eat sushi. But once it gets to a certain age, they're their immunity system is more than capable of handling anything that comes from eating raw fish. And it's best to get them started early. So that way, if they, and just in case they encounter something later on in life, they'll already have the genes and the, this is certain, the antibodies. There we go. There you go. To take care of themselves. If you, if you wait too long on it, then it's kind of like the old, uh, well, don't let your child have peanuts till a certain age, but then some people even think that causes the allergy because you're never exposed to it. So then it you for your, Yeah, your body's not, it's something that your body's not used to, so therefore it's going to have a severe reaction to it. Well, I, I'm not going to go too much into the food because people, um, that's what the article's for. I, the whole point of this is I really want to have a conversation about your background personally, and, and I want to tell your story through this amazing sushi that is just... If you haven't had it, guys, I mean, come on now. This is easily, it's, in my opinion, the most traditional Japanese-style sushi you're going to find in Huntsville for sure. And, and uh, I'll have to admit, guys, don't close your ears. <laughs> don't hear this. But, uh, no, I went I went to Seattle not too long ago, and, and I went to a premier sushi restaurant up there, and your stuff ranks right up there with it. And I, I want people to see that about Huntsville, that we do have really good options in town. But that's the whole point of this blog, right, is, is to is – to, introduce people to what's in your own backyard because so many people don't know they don't leave their corner of town and that's okay but but then you know same people are complaining we don't have this in Huntsville yeah we do we actually do you know and I and you're living proof of that and I appreciate it um thank you so my favorite I don't say my favorite but the thing that I think surprised me the most about that experience I didn't think I was gonna like it because I've had uni before was the uni sturgeon caviar wrapped in the cucumber yes so that is probably, I mean, I'm guessing the freshness of the uni has a lot to do with it as well. Yes, but it, it, it was almost like if I could compare it uh, to a seafood version of bone marrow, that's just how I would describe it because it's, it's that texture that it holds up, but it falls apart the minute you put it in your mouth. It has that very meaty taste to it as well. So what, tell us about how you came up with that creation. All right. So with the uni, um, for those who don't know, uni is a Japanese for sea urchin. Um, it's considered an aphrodisiac, if you didn't know as well. Um, for me, it was... Uni has a... Um, it has that seawater taste, like that fresh seawater taste. But there's a, there's a bit of a natural sweetness to it. Um... Not in the sense of like, you know, your fruits and stuff, but like when you have, for example, since we're in the Tennessee Valley, if you go get some Gulf shrimp, they're going to have a slight sweet seawater taste to it. And uni also carries that. So I wanted to play off of that, add a little bit of salt, add a little bit of smoked flavor. So therefore, I ended up uh, coming across this good Japanese brand of smoked shoyu soy sauce. And it, it just paired really well. 
uh, topped it off with the sturgeon caviar, which has its a slight flavor pro- flavor profile to it. And then on top of that, just a bit of tarragon to add a little bit of quick herbal spice to it. And it was gone within a day. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that says something, doesn't it? You know, because do you ever have, I guess, dishes, too, that you're not sure about it? You're taking a risk and then it, it's received very well. And then, oh, we're out, you know, and then it's it's gone that day and no one else can try it. <laughs> yeah. And it's just know? like, man, now I've got all these people coming here and asking for this item and I just don't have it. And therefore, I have to start leaning into hunger management and, you know, a little little behind the scenes of restaurant industries. But if I were to carry this every day, people wouldn't come every day for this item. But if I carry it every other week, people will be like, oh, I missed it last week. I'm going to come this week. So that that whole omakase experience that... uh is that on the menu? Do people know about it? How do they- so it is on the menu. It isn't... You have to ask for it, though. Um, I s- would rather you come at the sushi bar and ask for it and, you know, sit down at the sushi bar. Sure. That, yeah. Therefore, it makes it a lot easier for me and everyone else involved if I were able to, you know, just hand you your items directly. Yeah, and, and it's also an entertainment. I feel like it's yeah. entertainment. You know, watching you make everything. Because, yeah. like, you get... You get your, the chef explaining to you why he's doing this, what flavor profiles are in this, uh, how it pairs with the sake or whatever wine you're drinking. It it offers up a whole new enlightenment to the your 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 tongue and what it can experience, yeah. as opposed to just you know just sitting at a table and be like, "Hey, I want this one and this this and." You you're not really getting much from that. Yeah. Granted, you're getting what you want, but you're not getting the true like meaning behind what right. I do as a chef for sure. And um, so is there a price for that? Is there a range? Because I know it's different every time you make it. It is different every time I make it, and it's mainly depending on what we have in stock at the time and um that also your personal taste. So currently the omakase price range is between 60 and $90. Um, usually I'll carry one or two specials a week. Um, if it's a really like, you know, a good week, I'll carry three to four and offer those on the Amakase for a discounted price, which leads you to the um, not too much of a discrepancy between the price ranges. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I have to say, personally, I think it's worth 65 to 90 whatever. I'd, I'd probably pay 120 for it because, I mean, the reality is if you were in a bigger city, that's what you would be paying, 120 to 150 no problem. That is very true. You're not going to leave hungry, that's for sure. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. and you just have an, it's an experience. <laughs> like, you were, you were going to go home that night and that's what you're going to be thinking about when you go to sleep and when you wake up and go to work that monday morning or you know or whatever right you're going to be thinking about oh wow i really had that last night i've had so much there was more in that meal last night that i've experienced with probably in the last yeah honestly as and as an american within the last five years of my life you get you get into this like rut of just eating the same foods over and over again, and you don't really experiment much. But once you do, it opens your eyes up to uh, all the possibilities. Like 
it's it's a culinary art and a lot of people don't think about that when they go out and get food culinary is considered an art because not does it only appeal to your senses and not only is it subjective but it appeals to all of your senses most arts will only appeal to visual and audio senses because like you know you have your typical paintings drawings uh plays and movies those are audio visual but when it comes to culinary you have audio and visual depending on how the food is presented whether it's hot or not you can still hear the oil popping off the yeah. <laughs> the fried food that you got uh then you have sight feel and t- or sight or no you have um you have touch smell Oh, whatever it is. I yeah, mean, like you're appealing yeah, to all of them. You know? you're, you're appealing to all of them. And like it, it, it blows my mind how something so simple, something that's necessary for human life to continue on. You, like, you need food. Something that's so necessary and so pivotal can still be considered an art in and of itself because of the way that it's done. It's it. Yeah, and I I agree. I mean, because so when I I say this all the time, too, in my own writing, but my favorite probably style of cuisine is Asian cuisine. And it's because there is this element of balance is probably the main tenet, right? And I know there's a word and I can't think of it, but I like the yin and yang. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I thought that I can't. I'm thinking there's a culinary term for it, but anyway, you appeal to every sense. You appeal to the balance between that, the harmony, yeah, the yin and the yang, because w- with one thing comes another, you know, and you oh, have to balance uh, that. Umami. Yeah, it's yeah, right. supposedly yeah. like the six, the, the, so yeah. you have like sour, sweet, spicy, and salty. Right. Umami is like the fifth um, flavor profile that isn't widely recognized, but is recognized in most Asian cultures. It describes how how well everything flows together is there there's supposed to be a flow to your food you're not supposed to like taste something being like oh man that's right, super yeah. salty no like there's there should be like a a pathway that it follows it's like oh this is salty but it like brings out the flavors of whatever the salt is on yeah and i think i think when you base a whole ethnic cuisine around a principle like that i mean it really opens up so many possibilities because there's not one way to approach it either right you there know? never is never so Kind of, I mean, that blew me away. I'll always come back. You know, I probably met you about a year ago now. You know, um, yeah, but yeah. So I, I love keeping tabs on you and what you're doing. Um, so, how does one become a sushi chef? Is that formal training? I mean, how do you how do you make that happen? That's actually a, a heavy question because there's there's lots of ways. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Sure. Um, for me, uh, a local sushi joint was looking for like sushi helpers and i applied they had me make a california roll and i got the job yeah it was so. it was it was simple for me but then once i got into it i realized how discerning and how uh dedicated you have to be to the craft and that really opened up my eyes a lot i wasn't i wasn't really expecting that yeah um so you just you never until that point never worked in a restaurant before and just decided hey all right so no um i've Worked in restaurants up until that point. I say I worked in restaurants five years. Yeah, I worked in restaurants for five years up to that point. Uh, my first job was Jason's Deli. 
Oh man. Okay. Yeah, the more corporate. Yeah, <laughs> definitely started with more corporate. Um, started as a busboy. Um, you know, just picking up empty plates, running out food. And then one day I was just like, you know what? I really like what I'm doing, but I want to be the person, as egotistical as it sounds, I want to be the person that's responsible for putting the smile on someone's face when they eat what yeah. they eat. I mean, that's what this industry it. is all about, right? It that's is. why they call it hospitality. It is. It, it really is a hospitality. And that's why I enjoy the fact that I picked up on it on this in the South is because, you know, hospitality in the South is a whole nother ball game. Yeah. You you have to do a whole lot more to get your customer or your, your whoever you're serving. And I respect that. Like it 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 creates more of a bond as opposed to oh, this is a customer that comes in here every other yeah, Tuesday. That, that's definitely true, I think, of living in the South, is our culture here is definitely more focused on social interaction than it most is. other places in the country. And that's that's why I love it, you know, and I'm proud to say, you know, I, I live in Huntsville, Alabama, because when I moved here, that's uh, I moved here from Florida. But how nice everybody was here, you know, yeah, like, willing to help you is just crazy. It, it, it's 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 a lovely place. It really is. Uh, granted, you probably won't ever leave. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Hotel California reference. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and that's kind of what's interesting, too. Uh so Huntsville, I mean, growing up here, you've probably seen one side of it, and it's changed rapidly. And I'd say the past three years, you probably would agree with me on that. Um, for sure, for sure, the past decade. I mean, you wouldn't even recognize this place. So, no, how, how does someone that grows up in Huntsville decide? You know, like I want to learn the, the craft of sushi. Like, did, did you go to school? Did you have to travel abroad? How does that work? Well, so growing up in Huntsville, um, I was always around my grandparents. Uh, as my parents did work 12s. So I spent a lot of time in the kitchen, especially when they were cooking, uh, my grandparents. Um, and from there on, I was just like, all right, cool. I see how it is like to cook. Uh, you know, everyone likes to eat. We have to eat. Um, so why not make it enjoyable? Like I see how happy people are when they come over, come over for like potluck and stuff and they bring their dishes and like, Everyone's so excited yeah. to try what it's this person It's kind of a typical yeah. Southern way, right? It yeah. is. It really is. And I, I wanted to bring that, that like the the love for what people do for each other. I wanted to bring that into the culinary world when I got started. So I was like, all right, cool. This is what I want to do with my life. So I'm just going to do it full tilt. All right. Yeah. And uh, so... What is it? Did you ever travel? Did you ever? How do you get these inspirations? You know, to learn technique, especially. Um, so I have done some traveling. I've been to China three times, uh, all over the southeastern coast of China, um, without getting too too much detail. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, because there's a, there's a lot of cities to name off. Um, some of them will just you know fly over the the heads of listeners, but. Um, one of my favorites was uh, Gulongyi, and it was an island off the coast of Shaman that there is no automobiles on the island. Really? Nice. How do people get around? They walk. Okay. Oh, that's healthy um, option, right? Yeah, very <laughs> healthy option. You know, it's Asian culture. They're always about their health. But um, one of the options is you walk. Uh, you can obviously rent a bike. Um, 
as for deliveries that were made to the island, so like say if you have a restaurant on the island mm-hmm. and the boat comes by and drops off your shipment for the day, they have someone in a wagon that pulls your entire order to your restaurant. Oh wow! And seeing so how some of how heavy these deliveries are. While I was on the island, I took the time out and, you know, just got acquainted to everyone there and started helping them carry their deliveries because some of them were really heavy. Yeah, I bet. I mean, so you went to China. Why China, though? Because when people think sushi, they think of Japan, right? All right. So technically, uh, China is the first one that discovered sushi. Maybe not in the sense that Japan has brought it to the rest of the world. But um, when it came to keeping their fish semi-fresh and or edible, um, they would wrap their fish in rice and seaweed in order to keep it, A, dry, because the rice would absorb the waters. uh, The the, the water, the waters, wow. It would absorb the water. Um, and in doing so, it would keep bacteria from getting onto the fish. So then you would have this uh, rice that's been nurtured with, with uh, uh, water. And as uh, usually flesh starts to age, it would release um, ammonia, okay. which would add to the vinegary taste oh. of the rice. Okay. So... They would keep the fish in this rice seaweed bundle. They would deliver it to their specified designation. Uh, They would unwrap the fish from the rice and seaweed. The rice would have the vinegary smell. The seaweed would be somewhat moist. And the fish would still be edible. So once this had reached Japan, people had grown so accustomed to the vinegared rice smell that they would start making their own rice with, uh, as a simple sushi soup, vinegar, sugar, and salt, oh. mix it in, roll the fish into that, and just eat that. So that's what as became is. the traditional and sushi rice. Yes, and that's what became traditional sushi. Wow, that's so. That's that's a backstory that a lot of people probably have, or, you know, no idea about. <laughs> no and, idea. And, and it took you to traveling to China to uncover that fact yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like there's 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 so much history in China. When you're talking about a country that has seven thousand years of written history, right? Because the, the recipes you're talking about are like imperial China, right? Yeah, it's like, not yeah, like recent. It's, it's not recent at all. Like we're talking about at least five thousand years ago. Like yeah. they would do this thing. I mean, that's older than most countries, you know. Yeah, and like the, you're talking about America. You've only been here for what two hundred and sixty. Yeah, and it's just amazing how you travel to these places and, and that kind of history, and then especially as it's presented through food. And that's why that's why I think food has a story to tell, and I'm glad you can be here to tell it with me. But I have to call you out on something. So, and more I want to know about too is when uh, we were you were making that meal for me, all the, all those awesome sushi selections. Uh, I noticed it seems you speak fluent Mandarin. So what's going oh, on there? No. How did you learn that? How long did that take to learn? I mean, it took about a year to. Uh, so right off the bat, it's not fluent. Um, it did take about a year to get where I am. Um, granted, I'm not having like f- philosophical conversations with yeah. every Mandarin-speaking person sure, yeah. that I meet. So my um, 
my vocabulary is strictly limited to directions, uh, food, and, you know, just basic kitchen and household okay. items. So mostly, like, uh, if you went to culinary school, a lot of people learn a lot of French. Kind of kind of yeah. similar to that. So, yeah. so, so it's kind of similar to that. And then if I, so as you said before, I've been to China, and I've, as I've said, I've been to China three times. I can I can find my way around the city. I can ask for food. I can I I can order stuff and you know, go about my general day to day life. But like if I were to meet someone and actually have to have like a serious conversation with them, I would sure, probably yeah. definitely need Google Translate. That's okay. I mean, it's more Chinese than I speak, so I think it's pretty incredible. But do you think do you think learning another language like that it sort of opens your mind to oh for sure how you look at the world and how you think about things for sure because um. I don't know. So for all my uh, multilingual listeners out there, um, I'm sure you recognize this one. Once you start learning another language, you also start dreaming. Oh, really? Yeah, like thinking in that language. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's definitely a little bit of a surprise when it comes to that. But like learning another language opens up your mind in so many other ways because it gives you a better understanding of how different societies work and growing up in just a singular society, I believe isn't the best for childhood growth. I feel like they should definitely um, go out and be able to experience the world as it truly is, as opposed to the world as it is in your hometown where you spend most of your life at. Yeah, that is true. That's uh, I I'm I did that myself. I grew up in a military family, and I moved around all the time growing up. And you know, I, I thought that would stop when I became an adult, worked my own careers, but it didn't. And that's how I ended up in Huntsville. Um, but you know, I couldn't have asked to end up in a better place. I think because so many people that end up so here have that same story. So it's 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 Huntsville has become so much of a diverse town. It's um, honestly mind boggling. Um, just just to witness the amount of like <laughs> engineers yeah that come here. right yeah. yeah and it's like a that's an interesting kind of subculture in itself and uh you just uh yeah because i think when uh you travel it really you see how other parts of the world operate you see how language is different um when i was in college i even did a study abroad in greece and uh Kind of the same thing. You know, you're looking at these monuments that were thousands of years old, you know, two, 3,000 BC, some of them before, and, and just how languages evolve. Because I would imagine Chinese is very similar since it's it's probably one of the oldest languages that are still around today, and how many yeah. times it's had to evolve, and probably still some concepts that are passed through that generational knowledge that are, are still reflected in the language, too, that we may not as English speakers understand. So I I don't really know how to explain it, but like in uh, in Greece they they have several words that we just can't translate over here, you know. And so you start thinking differently when you you learn, and you're like, man, I wish I could explain it, but I really <laughs> like, can't. You know? Yeah, I literally cannot do that. But this. I, I think traveling does much something similar to where you you see things firsthand, and you go back and try to explain it to somebody. And you're like, I just I can't explain it. You just have to take my word. But this is the way it's done, you know. And so I appreciate you bringing that that kind of influence into your cuisine and i think uh and i I certainly believe it i have talked to others too they certainly have a respect for your work here in town um um but so i guess coming back to to huntsville you know what are your favorite restaurants here in the scene 
Yeah, that's like a you're gonna get in trouble now. But uh. yeah, you you you're gonna be in trouble now because I have to actually <laughs> think about it. I mean, I like I wouldn't so I consider myself as a person that doesn't have favorites. Sure. I'm very the same way. My wife thinks I'm crazy, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, like, say I take a favorite today, it's not going to be the same favorite, yeah, like, not. you know, five, ten years from now. Sure. So um, I have ones that I really do enjoy. Um, As of right now, I like to say sitar. Really? Okay. So yeah. Indian food. Yo, curry. Curry is my yeah. go-to. It's- Ninety <laughs> percent of the time, I'm a big Indian fan as well. And I'm, I'm honestly debating whether or not I'm gonna get a curry after all. Yeah, hey, it's never a bad time for a curry. It's never a bad time for curry. But, uh, oh, it's so good. But um, maybe that's an idea for a menu item: curried sushi, some kind of curry reduction on it. Yeah. Don't don't be giving away <laughs> secrets now. But um, yeah, I do, I do really enjoy curry. Um. So what about what about restaurants? I think that have opened up recently. Recently, yeah, like so recently, three, three years or so. I have not. Yeah, okay, been nothing. Because yeah. you're too busy working I mean, on your own yeah, craft, right? It's tough. It is, I it get is that because um, you're only. I'm not mistaken. Your only day off is Sunday, and that's yeah. just because the restaurants close. <laughs> exactly. I don't think a lot of people understand that about when you're a chef like if the restaurants open, you're there, yeah, right? Like, yeah, you know, you no one else no can choice. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's always I like full disclaimer. I've never worked in the restaurant industry. I don't really uh, care to, but I have a high respect for it because it's just such a such a different way of life. Almost like scheduling doctors' appointments, you know, like doing like right, normal like stuff. Doing normal you're, stuff you're is is a hassle for me. I would, I would much rather be like stuck in the weeds on a Friday, Saturday night than a. Yeah, right. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> He's laughing because we almost knocked the table over, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, so working in the, in the restaurants in Huntsville, and I'm, 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 I'm assuming you've probably worked at a few, just being, you know, in the in the game for a while now. Uh, do, do you do you have any? I guess uh, have you ever left Oshi since you've been there to even you know brush up on your craft elsewhere or, or what? I did a little stint at the Poppy and Parliament. Ooh, I love, um, that. I love that place. They're very good. Very good food. Very high standards. And that's one of the things that I took from that place is if you're going to do a craft and do it well and do it in a way that no one else in the area has done so far, you have to have the high standards. Not only that, but you have to rule with an iron fist because if you let one, two things slip by, that makes an effect in your customer base. Right. And that's something that you don't want in a negative way. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, they don't realize how uh, key consistency is. A lot of recipes, especially like you, one of the hardest things I think about running a restaurant is having the same experience every time you walk in that door. And, you know, and especially these days with the, the labor issues you know it's hard to find help and it is it really is um but back to what you're saying about the same experience yeah yes and no we want you to have the same experience we want you to come in and feel comfortable and enjoy your meal every time that you come in yes Mm -hmm. but when it comes to the meal itself 
it's good to have slight discrepancies. Okay. Um, so you come in and you order your like your favorite dish, and this time it's just like a slight bit spicier than it was last time. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, oh wow, like yes, it's, yeah. a, it's a spicy. Yeah. I want it. I love it. This is why I ordered it. It's stuff like that. Like you want it, you don't want it to be the same every time because at that point, especially when you're a chef like myself, you're just like, well, I just go home and cook this. Right. Yeah. Why, why am I going to bother? Yeah. But then there's also the people I think that they want the same exact thing, the same way every time they come in somewhere, it doesn't matter where they go. Um, but maybe, and I think that's probably a hard part of your job is convincing people to try something they've never tried before yes. and get out of that comfort zone. Cause it's like, you know, it's easy to just like we stay in our own corner of town, you know, when you're busy, it's easy to get like that with food too. And just sort of deep fried sushi rolls. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. And, uh, it's just easy to, to go with. So I think it's comfortable and not necessarily try like more traditional approaches and, I hear that with uh, Mexican cuisine a lot here, too. A lot of people complain, oh, it's not what I had in Southern California or, you know, or whatever. But Speaking of which, um, I don't know if anyone else in the Tennessee Valley area knows this, but um, queso is not... <laughs> yeah, it's not... <laughs> that's a Texas thing. Not finding thing. it in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> California, Mexico, you're not finding queso. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but... So uh, just being a chef in, in general and having that title kind of bestowed on you now, you know, it's, that's a lot of, of weight. Do you do you have maybe no one knows celebrities or anything, but do you have what you would consider influences or mentors? Yes. Um, currently, uh, Chef Kristen. Chef Kristen has been. To be clear, that's Chef Kristen and Caroselli out of Popping Parliament, right? That is the very Chef Kristen that I'm talking about. Um even though our interaction had been short, um, I had have learned a lot from her. Um, yeah, so I, if you haven't read my article, I, I encourage you to. <laughs> I wrote one earlier about her, and um, I got to meet her, and I was like, that was probably one of the first articles I wrote. I got kind of nervous where I was just like, Ugh, you know, because she, she takes what she does very seriously, and I don't mean that in a way. That she's she's too harsh or she's not kind, but I mean it, she she really takes that craft to a different level. And like you're saying, there's no there's no room to to mess around. You really have to because when I talk to her, it's almost like it's it's like watching someone in the military command the troops. I I made that analogy in the article actually, and it's uh, there's a purpose for everything. There's nothing by mistake, nothing by accident. You know, everything is thoughtfully curated, and that's and I think you when you get to that level of attention to detail, that will speak volumes to to it's probably good to have her as a mentor in that respect too you take that influence back to oshi and um and it certainly shows i mean the the level of detail you take for the ingredients alone is is it's unbelievable it just takes sushi to a level i never experienced personally and i thank you for that for introducing me to that uh but yeah i just she she is something else too and um so it do you know, I guess, what's the, the most you learned from her? You feel like you, the biggest takeaway? <sighs> that's a that's actually a pretty heavy question. There's a, there's a lot there. Um, for a while, like I've been doing sushi for seven years. And for a while, I was doing it 
just to do it, not really with any like goal or mindset at hand. And once I met Chef K, it it just changed. Yeah. Like you you I can tell you're getting kind of emotional about it now. Like you're thinking yeah, about like, it. Like now that I'm heavy. thinking about it, like I, I honestly like I've 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 talked to her and I've like said things things to her. But like once you like once someone asked me about it, I just realized how much of an impact it has on your life to come across someone that really cares about what they're doing, and it reminds you of like why you started in the first place. It's because. You really enjoy what you're doing and the, the the science behind it and the craft and how people feel about it. Like you, there's so much to culinary arts that people don't realize. It, it's yeah, I mean, it, it is like you said before. It is an art, like culinary arts. You know, it's not called that by mistake. It's, it's uh, not. It's a, uh, and that's what I like to. My favorite thing about food to tell people to show that is it's not it's not a, an experience of filling your belly. You know, yeah. maybe if you're a bodybuilder, that's all it is. But for for me, it's it's an experience. There's a story behind it. You know, it's like there's there's variety. There's we have options and uh and I and I think I think Huntsville. That's what's so cool about this place is that's what sold me to Huntsville. When I moved here was the was the food scene. You know, was, I just did not expect that to find that here uh, in your. You know, I know Huntsville always prides themselves on that. They kind of say we're like the we're like a small big city. You know, like you, <laughs> yeah. you can find all your little creature comforts. You know, we may we not have everything, but you got enough. And we're we're between two major, well, three major metro areas: Nashville, Atlanta, and Birmingham, to, yeah. to satisfy those needs. But so, what about your goals personally for Oshi, for you, for your cuisine? What, what, where do you see yourself in the short term? What what a short term. Um, we're aiming at putting out a dinner special menu at Oshi that incorporates more of the traditional aspects as well as some modern takes on sushi. Um, ones that aren't covered with spice mayo, no. thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> um, ooh, long term? Yeah, that's, that's that's the burning question, long term. Like what? It is a burning question. If you could do anything, what would it be, you know? I want to start with a food truck. Food truck. It's it's a less it's a sushi less, food truck? Yeah. It's a less of an overhead. Um easier to get into, especially if it good connects cuz you just need like one or two good, you know, uh social networking sure. yeah. uh, people that you know, have a restaurant, and if you have a good relationship with them, then yeah, you can use whatever leftover fridge, freezer space that we have to store your goods for your yeah. food truck because you need that for food trucks. I don't know if you realize that, in, or in the state of Alabama, you have to have a restaurant that contains your items. You just can't keep everything in your food right, truck. Yeah. Um. But other than that, uh, like beyond that. Uh, long-term goals eventually just open up my own spot that's it all right that, that's the dream right i think uh, for a lot of people always, in your position, it's always a dream you uh you get the can uh, creative control of everything you know and you answer to yourself and you know of course that's, that's not saying there's some responsibilities that come with that that aren't so much fun yeah but, uh, you know it's sort of the necessary evil i think of <laughs> 
of a because one of my favorite spots probably ever and i've never been there but uh i've known people that have and i'm pretty jealous is uh it's out in chicago but they they do a lot of gastronomy stuff and uh, it's a chef named grant H. chats and he when i saw his piece i, th- I saw a documentary just about him it kind of changed my life and then uh, that's i think that was several years ago now it really got me into food when i was like man they're they're just there's stuff I didn't even know existed. There's things that I think, uh, you know, I, I have a lot to learn. So I, I can imagine you feel that way too. Every day is a learning experience, and it's just. Uh, the, the one person that really helped me with that is um, Alton Brown. Oh, really? He yes. came to Huntsville one time, didn't Did he? he? Really? Yeah, he came at the VBC and did a little. Man, I must have missed. That. I must have been either too young or just unaware of that because Alton, yo. Alton Brown is a man. Anyone that can start a whole TV show and just do the science behind food and tell me how to scientifically make ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I what I what I realized about molecular gastronomy. It's more chemistry than anything. Anything, you know? yes, especially when it comes to baking. Baking is the most Yeah, I won't to this day I don't bake. I won't touch it. Yeah, like oh, to be honest, like, yo, I'm leaving it to Chef K. She's she's she has a pastry degree. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yo. Hey Chef, I need um I need I need that Boston cream pie. Yeah, right. Let yes. Me, let me get that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah baking is in itself is its own is there anything? That's actually how it started, by the way. Oh, really? My grandmother, one of my grandmothers, my paternal grandmother, had me start in the kitchen by baking muffins and cupcakes. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of leads into the question I was about to ask. Is there anything that you would love to learn or, you know, you wish you could? <laughs> uh, pastries? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Please help. Please help. <laughs> She's taught me. She's taught me a few things, so I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that brings us almost right at an hour. So, uh, I'm trying to think of the last burning question to ask you, but I really don't have any because I just think I, I think what you're doing for Huntsville is it's just such a unique experience, such a, a necessary service. I think to expand people's culinary palates, their minds, and and tell that story through there. So I appreciate you coming here, man. And, you know, telling that story with me and letting, let me tell your story. That's, that's the most flattering thing about rocket fuel is that I get to meet you guys and I get to tell your story and that you trust me to tell that story and tell it accurately. And that, that really means a lot to me. So I, I appreciate you coming out, man. And uh, no, no worries. we'll have to have you on again, you know, once, uh, this is the first episode. This was a, you know, an experiment. So I appreciate that. Too. It has been an honor. Thank you so yeah, much. No problem. Everybody, hey, that's Chef Dominic Lester at Oshie Poke. And, uh, well, if you tell, where can we check you out on socials too? Because that's such a big thing these days. Well, uh, Facebook, I don't really use too much for my like, professional socials. So you can check me out on Instagram at underscore Chef Dom the Bomb, literally a dot com. All right. So, Chef Dom the Bomb dot com. <laughs> Underscores on both sides. That's it. Yeah, follow you on Instagram, and uh, and I'm sure you probably post fantastic pictures. So. I do, and then I also give uh, lots of mentions and story shout outs to the people that come, and right, also post yeah. on theirs. Awesome. Well, it is a community experience, and I think that that element is illustrating that perfectly. But yeah, thank you so much, man. I, this has just been fun, and I, I can't wait to to see what your career has in store. I know it's big things, so I just. 
I'm going to be cheering you on in my own corner for many years to come. And, yes. Yeah, man. Making all of Huntsville my cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate it so much. And, uh, hey, we'll see where this goes, right? Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem.